Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Welcome to Mitchell Levy Presents AHA Moments. Mitchell is a thought leader, entrepreneur, and TEDx speaker who helps you think big and lead an authentic life. Each week, Mitchell gives leaders the inspiration they need to make a greater impact and share their genius with the world. Now, here's Mitchell Levy. This one's from the archives, and I absolutely love it. Uh, it was when Michael Procopio was still my host on Thought Leader Life, and we have Eileen McDara, the CEO, the Chief Energy Officer of the Resiliency Group. And this episode talks about both thought leadership and resilience. What does it mean to be resilient? How do you show resiliency? How do you make it happen in your company? How do you drive success? This episode is absolute one for you to listen to. Look forward to your feedback and comments. Take care. Welcome to Thought Leader Life number 44. I'm Michael Procopio. And I'm Mitchell Levy. And it is absolutely fabulous to be here. Uh, we have Eileen McDar with us. And she is the CEO. But when I say CEO, let me say that she is the Chief Energy Officer of the Resiliency Group and serves the role as a keynote speaker, facilitator, consultant, MC, and she helps companies, well, be more resilient. Uh, Eileen, great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Eileen, what do you think um, uh, thought leadership means in corporations today? To me, thought leadership is about thinking broader, wider, deeper. Um, I do believe that thought leadership is where an organization, which is made of a collection of individuals, how can we continue to advance our enterprises in a way that handles the triple bottom line? And the triple bottom line is, you know, it's, it's people, it's profits, it's planet. Because I think that's another uh, nuance of thought leadership, that I don't do business the way I've always done it, but I'm, I'm now being tasked to do things very differently. You know, we've heard many different definitions of thought leadership and thought leadership within corporations. You brought out a super important point. A corporation is comprised of a series of individuals, right? And that that is really fascinating because if, in, in, in my definition, if 60% of the organization needs to be thought leaders in, in a unique definition of thought leadership, um, that basically means the individuals need to be out there. 100% of the organization needs to be engaged. What do we talk? What do you see in terms of organizations today, in terms of employee engagement, to resiliency? What what what, do you, what are you thinking about in terms of the work you do when you when you go into companies? You know what's interesting, um, Mitchell, is it 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 depends upon the company. It depends upon senior leadership being flexible enough to realize that. The answers aren't at the ceiling. They're often at the floor. And unless I can open the gates to allow people to constantly think broader, wider, deeper, all I'm going to do is push down one standard way of doing things. And so I'm not being as as productive, as creative as I could be. What I think people want out of their business, number one, they want to be able to do good work. They want to be excited about what they want to do. And frankly, the people who are only in it for a paycheck, 
I would marginalize those because what I want to do is tap on the talents of the others. And the other people who want to have their talent tap are saying, how can I constantly look at how do I grow what I'm doing? What I, what I find is that uh, I think oftentimes organizations are held captive by fear. Fear of the stockholders, fear of the shareholders, fear of compliance, and fear of legal. And therefore, unleashing talent, which I think you have to do if you're going to be resilient and constantly grow in a changing environment, uh, those four things can be really like straitjackets. So it takes courage on the part of leadership to say, you know what, the world looks very different. And everyone owns a piece of the to help us constantly grow. And I, I really like the notion of the triple bottom line. So no, it's I, really letting that thing open, be open with it. Oh, I, I absolutely love it. You, you started me thinking down a path. We had, uh, and you, you and I, we, we talked ahead of time, uh, the World Gone Social, a World Gone Social with, with Mark Babbitt and Ted Cornet. The, what we ended up talking about a lot was the old industrial age in which things were being done versus today's social age, where it's much more social, it comes from the bottom. And the industrial age was one in which it really was about time and motion studies where things started from the top and got pushed down. And, and there are still many executive teams who feel and act that way. So how do, you, how do you go into corporations and sort of help them wake up to the fact that that's not really the way life works anymore? Well, for one thing, I would actually recommend the book that, that Ted and Mark wrote, A World Gone Social. Also also yours, Michael. Um, your title of your book was, was it 42? What's the title, Michael? Yeah, it's 42 Rules for B2B Social Media Marketing. Okay. I, mean, I, I think that's, that's one thing. There are resources that are out there. The other thing is, if you pretended this was a mirror, I would hold a mirror up to you, and I would say, if you were your customer, if you were the employee, and you saw this, what would you think about that organization? I was just with an organization this week in which they brought in um, Mark Reagan, who is CEO of um, Reagan Communications, and he put out some just incredible of corporate speak that get put on the internet, that get sent out to um, to to a public, and it's the biggest bunch of garbage and jargon in the world. God knows how much money is spent there, and nobody's ever going to read. So, so when you said, how do you make companies aware of this? I think one of the ways is metrics. Um, it's great you put out two thousand pieces of whatever, and if only three people read it, the metrics are going to tell you something is not working. So resilience of being adaptable, of changing to changing times with this emphasis on person to person, not just B to B. I think it's more than that. I think it's person to person. And how do we help people unleash that and begin to talk as human beings rather than as robots and that's just the main we are supposed to carry you know, name, rank, serial number, that's it. Can't tell you anything more, it's a secret. Um, so I think that the first thing is awareness. Got it. So awareness of what needs to happen makes sense. And and to be a thought leader and also to be an executive where you're you're not just a thought leader, but you're also helping shepherd a number of thought leaders in your company, you need to be resilient. And that's where you come in. Um, yes, that is. That is. And people 
become, and by the way, let me backtrack for a second, Mitchell. I don't think that resiliency is about bouncing back and that, oh my gosh, tragedy has happened, crisis has happened, now I've got to become resilient. I define resiliency as the uh, growing through challenge or opportunity so that I end up wiser, smarter, and better on the other side. And resiliency takes energy. Let's say, Mitchell, when you started your organization, when you started up, you know, think, aha, you expended a tremendous amount of energy, thought, emotional, physical energy in order to create this opportunity that you now have. It's not, it wasn't a crisis, it was something that you chose. So if I look at resiliency as saying, how do I help an organization grow, continually grow, it means how do we walk around and look at things differently? Um, how do I enable divergent thinking? I love that phrase. I think one of the roles of a leader is to enable divergent thinking. If we all think the same way, chances are we're going down the wrong path. You need to have other voices, right, that, that chime in. Um, Michael, you said something in our conversation prior to this session where one of the things in your past life that you knew was important was to, I love this phrase, to expose expertise. So there are people within our organizations who are really good, they think broad, they think wide, they have expertise, but they don't know how to pass it along. So how do we help people who are really smart open up and expose their wisdom to the rest of the organization? Uh, because many times they don't, and I, I, love, I, I love that phrase, expose expertise and enable divergent thinking. Well, it's part of what we're doing with this show um, is we it, and and we talked we talked with you about it ahead of time. We're actually using a series of technology to to actually take a single piece of content, right? This half hour talk not only shows up on YouTube and SlideShare, but we also strip out the audio and it shows on iTunes and a number of different podcast locations. We will do a blog post on it and we'll strip forty quotes, you know, uh, forty elegant Eileen McDarr quotes and include <laughs> that into a book, right? And so. What's really fascinating is this one half hour opportunity, and, and of course we prep for it and we set up and so on, is going to expose people to you and your feelings in a number of different ways. And I think this is part of what companies need to do. And what's really important to me, and, and we'll go back to once again, the, the executive staff needs to recognize that some of the best ideas come from the bottom. And yeah. they need to put mechanisms in place that allows the company to be resilient and and I agree with you it's not about bouncing back it's about understanding the importance that if a great idea comes from the bottom we've got our ears open to listen to it and actually act on it you know there there are wonderful examples in corporate history of listening to people who were totally outside of your normal channel of communication I think a great one and it's old but I still love it when Timberland was trying to design its, you know, its work boots. They brought in um, around the table one of the security guards who said, "I couldn't wear that thing. You want me to stand all day in this?" And they, they said, "What are you going to do?" And he said, "Well, here." They cut the, you know, they cut the boot open. They did this. They did that. They created a workbook that I don't know if it still is, but was one of their best-selling products because who designed it? The person who designed it, who had the divergent thinking, was the security guard who was going to have to wear it. When um, when one of our newer airplanes was being designed, 
they got the ground crew to say, what do you need? What do you need in order to um, refuel this plane? And they said, well, first off, it's cold in the winter, and they have these little teeny things that were outside. If we have to take off our gloves and be able to do this, that's not going to work. Um, how do we how do we create the lighting over the seat so that the flight attendants can get in there and change a ball if it's needed? And they all had so many ideas. So I think it's really this willingness, not only willingness, but proactively seeking what other people know. It's it's part of what I think of as adaptability. So adaptability has got two things. One is how do I how do I challenge the way we currently do business? And then how do I listen to what other people know that I don't know? And the degree to which I'm willing to listen to that offers me many more opportunities for responses rather than just a narrow cast, you know, a singular a singular viewpoint. So, Elaine, how do you get corporations to, or, or what techniques do you teach them to make that change? Michael, it would be it would be dependent upon how it was being brought into the organization, because you can be brought in in different ways. One way in which um, I'm brought into the organization is is through executive teams, and so. One of my challenges with executive teams is, because it's always people to people, it's not business to business, it's people to people. First off, how can they expand their thinking about who sits around the table? So I start with, how do we understand the human that sits here? Because you can't talk about issues unless, if I've got a wall up, I don't like Joe Smith over here, I think Joe Smith is terrible. So we start with that. I identify in interviews ahead of time, uh, the same set of questions for the executives who sit there, uh, or whatever level it is in the organization, and I create third-party position papers so that no single person is identified, but it's what I hear as a global concern. And then only when they begin to talk about it, I will constantly push and challenge them. What now? What if? What would happen? Who do you need to listen to that you haven't? been listening to in the past. So you take a real issue and then as a facilitator I would push that out. Another way in which I can brought, be brought into an organization is, is really to do a, a training in, related to change management and related specifically to resiliency. And I have you know a series of skill sets um, that I can teach them. And the other thing, I've got a new book that will be coming out soon called Your Resiliency GPS. GPS stands for Growth Position Strategy. And in the book, add different places as you are individually or corporately, there are recalculating questions to help you with that GPS. Um, so to answer your question, it, it depends how I'm being brought in. The, the last piece I would say is that whenever I'm brought in, whoever it is that brings me in, specifically if it's for bringing that group together to have the kinds of critical conversations and to expose expertise to enable divergent thinking, whoever ultimately owns that meeting, that individual and I will sit and have conversations ahead of time and I will ask that, number one, I don't own the outcome of the meeting, they do. It's not up to me to own what they do with it. I'll create the process, but I also ask that person to allow me to give them input. If they're not willing to have input from me, then it's not going to work because already they're looking at it like this. So that's kind of a prerequisite. 
So let's let's uh, good question, Michael. Um, let's tie this into into thought leaders, right? So, do thought leaders need resiliency? Yes, but <laughs> yes. Now so this tell me what that means. What does that mean for? What does that mean for the thought leader at the top of the pyramid and also the thought leaders at the bottom of the pyramid? Okay. First up, let's talk about what this whole thing, thought leadership, is about. Because this is where you and I have some divergent ways of looking at thought leadership. First up, I think a real thought leader is determined by the outside rather than the inside. In other words, I don't know that I could call myself a thought leader. But if you listen to things that, that I talk about, you go, wow, Eileen, I never thought about it that way. That allows me to think differently. You proclaim me the thought leader. Oh, I, don't so I, can, I can officially proclaim Eileen McDar a thought leader. If you, if you so choose. But I think people who just say, well, I'm a thought leader. Well, no. It's, it would be like um, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. No, 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 you're I, supposed to say thank you. I've officially proclaimed oh, you thank you. Leader, so congratulations. <laughs> I think we get every thought leader in here. Thank you very much. But it would be like in the in the baseball hall of fame, if you had the you have the one team that got together and said, Okay, who do we want to be on the Hall of Fame? We'll decide, you know, and you decide among yourselves. But if you think about it, a Hall of Fame is decided by the by the broadcasters, by the people, the sportscasters who follow it and look at all and say, Wow, that person over there is We'll call it a thought leader because other people have said that. Right. So when you said, do thought leaders need resiliency? Yes, because there's a danger in becoming comfortable with thinking that you're a thought leader. Specifically, I have all the answers. I know it. Been there, done that, just listen to what I have to say, and life is good. The older I get, Mitchell, the more I know I don't know. So Wait. what's important... So what yeah. I often say with thought leadership is you need to not just create original thought, but you also need to aggregate and expertly curate other people's thoughts. Brilliantly stated. Brilliantly stated. I think thought leaders are people who are constantly looking at expanding their own thinking. Expertise is the enemy of innovation. Ooh. Like that one? Wait, wait I like that again. Wait, wait. Let me think this too. Expertise is the enemy the enemy of innovation. That's a great tweet. That's a real short one. That's very powerful. Well, if you think about it, the minute I say I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna hold up my little coffee mug. I am an expert in, in how to create this coffee mug that will constantly hold heat. Therefore, since I'm the expert, never have to change that at all. And yet somebody says, Oh no, there's a new design. Why? We put a handle on it. We could do this. See if I think I'm the expert, the ego becomes involved with expertise. And I need to say, wow, you're darn right. I don't have all the answers. We could put a handle on this, this coffee mug right here. So I think it is that I think thought leaders also need humility. And the word humility comes from the word humus, which is the ground, that is the soil. It's what allows things to grow. So when you are humble when you have humility you're constantly looking at how do I nurture and grow my own thinking my own outcome and how do I allow other people to grow theirs I like it so humility transparency integrity um, and, and and 
honestly, I, I always look at thought leaders as really want to help the audience that they're that they're working with, right? They 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 really want to help them be successful. And so where we might disagree a tiny bit is not only do I think my definition of thought leadership and Michael and I have, have, have sort of agreed on this one is not just the the person at the top standing from the pulpit, but the the recognized expert in a particular space. So you could define that space narrow enough that there are many thought leaders inside the company, and the company is looking to the customer service person to be the thought leader to solve that problem. Now, I, I would agree with you on that one. What we would encounter is, again, the willingness to listen to the person who has that, that sphere of influence, and everybody has a sphere of influence. I and mean, It's true, everybody's a leader. It, a title is just something on a piece of paper. Um, everyone has a sphere of influence. And the degree to which I understand and own and want to constantly grow that sphere of influence, that means I have the possibility to, if you think about it, it's thought leadership. It isn't thought servantship. Actually, leadership is servantship. It's not thought followership. It's thought leadership. So that word leader makes it very different than the followership. So there are times in which, yes, I salute and I follow. There are other times in which I would, if I stay mute and salute, and I know a different way to do it, shame on me. But also shame on the organization that might create that space in which the person feels unsafe to say, you know what, I, I hear you saying this. I'd like to suggest I think there's a different way to do this from my point of view. You, you definitely nailed it. Right, it's part of the corporate culture. If you're creating a good, resilient company, if you're creating a good company that deals with thought leadership, if you're dealing with a company of today where you recognize that 100% of your employee base needs to be engaged, engagement means that they're not just following what comes down; they're actually creating and living and breathing it themselves. And they could stand up and say, "Hey, I don't, I don't like this, or this doesn't work, or let's go in a different direction." And people are going to at least listen. Well, I, you know, we all are vested in our own points of view, myself included. And by the way, I teach what I need to learn. And there are times I go, "Wow, Eileen, you screwed that one up. <laughs> what are you going, what are you going to learn? What are you going to learn from that one?" Um, it is true. Listening is one of the hardest things we do as human beings. Of social media, that 140 characters doesn't necessarily create the deeper conversation if I truly looked you in the eye and spoke to you. So I think one of our challenges in the, the, the new era, the new social media era, is that we also need to find time in which we actually come together. Uh, if you have virtual teams, at some point in time, that virtual team needs to become unvirtual. We really need to break bread together. We need to walk the beach together. We need to understand who sits there because then when we are back in our virtual worlds, I have I have an impression of the human being on the other side of that of that small comment. So that's an interesting that's an interesting this is a slightly off topic, so bring us back, Michael, if we need to be there. But do you actually think you need to physically break bread? Or, I mean, there are people who have been on my team that have worked with me for four years um, who I've never actually physically met in person, but we've done 
we, we've been on Skype every week. We look at each other. We I, I feel like I know them better than I know uh, many people who are certainly better than I know some of my neighbors. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm not sure. I wasn't. I'm not convinced you need to fit in today's world. You need to physically meet somebody, but I, I break bread virtually with my team members all the time. You break it visually because you are on Skype with them. Got I will it. tell you now, I've been in organizations where they say, well, we'll have, a, we'll have a webinar or we'll have a teleconference, and they don't use video. The reason they don't use video is because the truth of the matter is I'm not really listening to you. I'm over here answering email. I'm buffing my nails. I'm doing something else. So not to use the visual component because, Mitchell, you know in the area of communication, there are two things that carry the message. It's not just the words. It's the visual and the vocal. The visual is the, the most telling of the communication. Vocal comes second. Vocal is the sound of my voice. And I could say the words, yes, Mitchell, thought leadership is a wonderful thing. Or if you looked at me and I'm crossing my eyes and I'm raising my eyebrow and going, yes, Mitchell, thought leadership is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Just, my yeah, body right. is carrying the message. The words are one thing, but my body's carrying something else. So I think that using the technology like we are doing now, I'm looking in your face, I'm looking at, at um, Michael, who in a minute is going to smile at me. Right, Michael? There he goes. Look at that <laughs> smile. Wow. <laughs> But that's why you feel close to them. And literally, you could break bread with them. You could say, bring, bring your ham sandwich in and let's sit around and let's while, while you're taking a bite and because you're looking at each other. So when I look in your face and you're looking at mine, we are reading each other's bodies right now. I still like breaking bread real time. You know, I, I'm going to try. I, I don't think I've ever sat down and we've actually – had a drink together virtually, you know, uh, over, over Skype, or actually ate dinner together. I'm gonna try that though. That that really that's a very interesting. Uh, you you gave me an, an interesting aha moment. It, oh, I mean, if you sat down, and you get to know somebody well, and then you eat together like you would normally do, but you do it over Skype. I, I I've never done that before. That's intriguing. Well, and you can do it with a Google Hangout. You can have you can have ten on the Google Hangout. You can say, let's have a dinner party. And, and bring in whatever is one of your favorite things to eat. And so you got Michael over here. I'm, I'm assuming that's an Italian name, Michael, is it not? It is. It is. So I would say, Michael, bring in your favorite dish. And so what do you know? Michael's bringing in his homemade manicotti because he's a manicotti expert. And Mitch, you're bringing in, I don't know, give me one of your favorite foods, anything. Uh, pizza. Oh, oh, pizza. Okay. So I will bring in, if I could figure out how to do it in my office, I love Dungeness Crab. So it would be... Fascinating is before we get down to quote the issue, we go around and say, so what are you having for dinner? What this does is it gives me a picture of the human side of business. Now I know that if Mitchell, you and if I come up to the Bay Area, you and I are going to have pizza. You come down to Dana Point, well, if it's the right season, maybe you'll take me out for Dungeons Crab. And I can hardly wait to have Michael's manicotti. Sold, by the way. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on the Dungeons <laughs> Yeah, what a great what a great idea. I mean, Eileen, what I can imagine though is is creating a show where let's just say we did a once a month um hangout. We we had ten people and we ate dinner together. Um that, be fun. 
They're so freaking cool. <laughs> price, the price is right. You can drink whatever is your favorite kind of wine uh, or, you know, whatever. But it's just the, the whole point is that I think in order to, to have any kind of leadership position, and remember I said everybody can be a leader, that we are willing to grow our knowledge, our expertise. We're willing to know that we don't have all the answers. Uh, we're constantly looking at how do I feel like I'm in service and excited about the work that I do, that it uses the talent that I have. And I realize at the end of the day, it isn't business to business, it's people to people. Well, you know, Brian Kramer, a uh, big fan of human to human. Um, you know, the, there, yeah. there's, a, there's a number of folks who are, instead of the people to people, they do the human to human thing. But it's, I think that's kind of where we are today. I mean, the fact that you could share stuff socially doesn't mean you can't listen to what you're seeing. So you put your social monitors in place, and then when the right messages come in, that's where you've got to then take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, it just means, I think the tools allow us to be more social versus less, but I, I, I don't think all companies get that. No. And if you think about your customer base, your client base, you know, how is it that you make those customers, those clients feel special in a way that you understand who they are? And I'll just recommend Toronto Dominion Bank turned it, at least in one bank, turned it into their automatic thank you machines, ATMs, automatic thank you machines. And you can oh, go and find it on, on YouTube. It's the craziest darn thing I've ever seen, and it actually makes me cry because people come up to the ATM. I don't know how they did it, but all of a sudden there's this voice that says, so Mitchell, I understand you haven't seen your, your college daughter in six months and you just can't put the money together to go see her. And you're like, what, what this ATM is talking to me? And the ATM says, you know what, put your hand down here. Here's a ticket for you to go see your daughter in D.C. You, you yeah, can't, you can't find out about my lost daughter. No, just kidding. Uh, it's just, so, uh, but how crazy, who thought of that? Somebody with divergent thinking said, how do we think differently? Why Why does it just have to be an ATM? So Toronto Dominion Bank created that. I don't know how often they do it. I don't know where. If you look at uh, WestJet, um, if you go on YouTube and look at what WestJet does over Christmas, they involve everyone in divergent thinking of saying, how can we make this Christmas flying experience better than anybody has ever made it? I think that's tremendously sustainable, it's tremendously exciting, and it puts them one step ahead of the competition. Nice. Uh, what do you think, Michael? Well, I think it's time to wrap up. And before we do that, I want to thank our sponsor, Think Aha. Think Aha turns experts into thought leaders, and they do that in a number of ways. Uh, they have a number of uh, series of books that can be published. They have the Aha Amplifier, which you can go see for free at ahaamplifier.com. And this is where you put a book together of 140 Twitter-sized quotes, and it makes it very easy for your advocates or future advocates to share your message. Uh, and the latest offering is uh, the, basically the format of this show. Do your own thought leadership interview series where you bring your um, customers and thought leaders uh, in and you interview them. And in the process, of course, you make yourself appear as a thought leader as you're sharing your expertise. So with that, uh, Elaine, let me ask you a final question. Is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have? I, 
I don't think so. I think in the, a lot of time we've actually covered some pretty broad territory, and I just appreciate the opportunity to to sit down and to share ideas and to get your ideas for me. That's very helpful. And where is it that people can get a hold of you if they'd like to? Okay, well, if they can spell my name, which will be um, on the screen, E-I-L-E-E-N, MacDar, M-C-D-A-R-G-H.com, EileenMacDar.com. They can email me, Eileen at EileenMacDar.com. They can Google uh, or go on to www.TheResiliencyGroup.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is MacDarling, M-A-C-D-A-R-L-I-N-D. So they can they can Twitter what we've done here. I'm also on Facebook as well as LinkedIn. So there's many ways in which people can get in touch with me. Great, Mitchell. Any last words? Oh, Eileen, you were you were fabulous. Um, I I love I love taking a, a single word and and you've got a couple words that you that you think about. You know the resiliency and divergence and so on. Where taking a word and sort of Focusing on it and drilling down on it and figuring out what does it actually mean for the for the company itself and it was, it's it's just very fascinating to to listen to you talk and see how you present and and certainly how you can help companies be successful in this world where we do need to change and we do need resilience and we need to do things in a different way. I am uh, I'm actually really looking forward to. Uh, re-listening or re-watching uh, the show, and then uh, I'm curious what quotes come out of it. So I'm uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see what what uh, what quotes come out, and and then starting to re-echo your your thought leadership. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see what quotes come out too. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Thought Leader Life, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Eileen. Thank you, Michael. Goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Michael. This is Mitchell Levy, the AHA guy from AHA That. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thought Leader Life, where I'm joined by one of our thought leadership co-hosts to create compelling thought leadership that will propel their status in their industry. To learn more about Thought Leader Life, go to thoughtleaderlife.com. And to learn more about creating and sharing your AHA moments, go to ahathat.com slash author where you can also find a link to book a strategy call. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.